Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Creatives Ignite. And I am excited to have my friend Paul Nylander on today. If you love book design or if you like a good story or you want to hear about somebody who's pivoted, somebody who's been an entrepreneur multiple times in different areas, different fields, um, Paul is your man. I can't wait. Paul comes. He is I think you're here all the time, every week. I think there's a few times it's when Amy Lyons doesn't come and when Paul doesn't come, I kind of get a text, I think, that you're going out of town or you have a meeting or something. You've told me that you weren't going to be here. My mom doesn't even do that. Like when my mom doesn't show up, I... My mom, Paul, and uh, <laughs> and Amy, when they don't show up, I think something's wrong. So I am excited. You, you to- just cancel that week then. It's, it's over. <laughs> right. They well. didn't come. They didn't come. <laughs> right. Uh, and Demi said he wouldn't miss Paul. And he's in Greek <laughs> Greece now. And he was in Italy last week. So, okay. That must We're- be nice. I know it is nice to me. I'm glad. So today um, I'm going to give you a little bit of the behind the scenes or Paul is I'm going to prompt it. But Paul has an interesting career and I love that he has always loved design and he would do it in his free time while he was doing his other jobs or while he was pursuing his Ph.D. in physics. But he loved design and like many of us, we don't necessarily know that this is a career that we could do, right? Um, my parents didn't know about graphic design, you know? So I'm excited, so excited to finally that Paul said yes and that he has a ton of knowledge. So ton of knowledge about book design and he's very passionate about it. And I've gotten to spend a lot of time with Paul in like maybe the last three years, I think, right? Yeah. One day we'll that. meet in person. I'm holding find you to that. Found out how tall we really are. Right. I'm really short. So, okay. So, Paul, I want you to give everybody a, um, a background, uh, a little bit of your background, and then how you got into design and you started doing design uh, full time. Sure. Can you give well, them a I, little? I can probably I can probably roll with the little the little notes that I put together the little mini presentation because perfect. But okay, but before that, I have to jet in here in my X-wing fighter because one of the one of the things I didn't tell you is I'm an aspiring Jedi Knight as well. I got I got R two D two back there with me. So happy May the Fourth day to everyone. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. <laughs> Chris says it was perfect. That was awesome. Van <laughs> loves it too. Okay. So so I put this together because when, when Diane asked me to be on the podcast, I was saying, well, I could talk about my history. And and you know, so I'm I'm 50 and my history is very complicated. And that would take just hours to do. So so I put this together kind of to quickly go through things, then we can get to more of the, the interesting why than necessarily the the preface what. So I'll just refer to myself in the third person here and just say the paradox of Paul Nylander is I is that while I'm probably enigmatic myself, I'm really driven to understand how the world works and share that knowledge with others. Um, so I like being a mystery because I never, ever want to be pinned down, um, but I don't like there being mysteries. I like to understand how everything works. So in that way, I'm, I'm kind of a wobbly table of contradictions. I'm logical and analytical, yet I take intuitive leaps. Um, I, I never remember names, but I never forget a face. Um, I prefer reading nonfiction, 
but that's probably because fiction is just too all absorbing for me. It, that's just kind of who I am. I'm these, I'm these contradictions. I'm these uh, um, perplexing things. So, um, so to kind of sort of resume whirlwind it, um, I have to say, first of all, that despite all the things I've done in my life, I am continually racked by self-doubt. Um, and so some of the things, just kind of weird things, I walked in a circular underground tunnel that was so large, it actually messes with how your mind works. Um, I've flown above the clouds myself as a pilot. I've dove the turquoise blue waters of the Caribbean. I've personally hoisted several tons of uranium on more than one occasion. And I nearly asphyxiated myself with chlorine gas. I only did that once. I lived for a while in Hamburg, Germany, near the world's oldest continuous running open air fish market. I do have a PhD in particle physics. And so yes, you too can be in the small circle of people who have called me Dr. Nylander, limited mainly to my grandmother and the Alumni Association when they're calling for money. What else? Oh, I've written a, uh, a software in over a dozen different programming languages and helped the likes of General Motors, Ford, Chrysler with vehicle testing, not to mention working on wind turbine, we're working with wind turbine manufacturers and even once riding shotgun in a semi doing load testing runs on the hills on hills in the heat of uh, Nevada summer. That was a tough summer. On the artistic side, I take photographs as a creative outlet because it's less painful than writing. And I've combined digital image techniques with century old printing presses and sold my photography, letterpress and screen prints and fine, art, fine, uh, fine press books in art fairs. So I've covered a lot of ground. And yet, it still feels petty. It feels like it isn't enough. Um, I want to be able to imagine unseen worlds, and yet the need to be practical and pragmatic in what I do is uh, ever present with me. Um, in fact, I might go so far as saying that if I ever find myself starting to feel absolutely certain about what I'm doing, I know it's time for me to push further. I know it's time to go harder, find a new path. Um, so all of that comes around to say, why did I become a book designer? Um, and I became a book designer to work with others and learn their stories, learn the stories behind their stories and learn what makes them tick. Um, and some, some of the authors that I've worked with had the pleasure of working with are here on the, the chat in the, the webinar today. So thank you so much for coming um, and uh, giving me your stories. That's been wonderful. Um, that's kind of my goal is to help them share their ideas with the world. So the company, my company is Illustrata. Um, and I mentioned that just because it is a made up word, but it has the same Latin root as illuminate or illustrate, um, which really means to explain. So there, that's my meta explanation of explanation. So, okay, just a little bit, let me show some work and then we can get to talking about why all this stuff. So what I do, so photography is one of my main artistic outlets. Um, I do a lot of work um, you know, direct with camera, but I also do a lot of things in Photoshop and have for years and years and years and years. So things like this um, photo mosaic here, which is actually a self-portrait. Um, more recently though, my photography has turned to um, printmaking techniques and I've worked a lot in photo gravure. So this is an example One of about a- so beautiful. And it is like a story in itself. I just wanna know it's what it's all about. It's, it's a tremendous photograph and it, it became even stronger as a, it's a quite small, like a four by six. 
um, photogravure print. So that's hand-inked, hand-printed uh, images. It would be a great cover of a book too, Paul. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Well, you see, that's the hard thing with, with book covers is you have to put text on it then. I know. I know. <laughs> so, so this is actually the book that that photo is in right now. This is oh. a, a hand-printed, hand-bound, hand-everything um, uh, book of photogravure and letterpress text. So as a book artist, these are sometimes the kinds of things that I do. I've done a number of book arts books, um, a meander book, a concertina are shown here, um, hand printed usually uh, with stamps or letterpress or what have you. Um, I've done a number of uh, more poster sized things. So screen printing, such as the fire escape on the left, um, letterpress uh, broadsides as well. I get those in sometimes. And uh, more recently, I've actually been doing more with collage. This is actually Diane's prompting kind of to, to get to that. And we'll probably come to the story behind this, this image, but this actually combines photogravure with uh, hand cut collage, which is, I don't know, that's gotta be a first. That's a weird, weird mix. But most of my time, <clears throat> most of my time these days is actually spent doing uh, designing books that are um, prepared commercially. So uh, this is an example of uh, Kura done for the St. John's Pottery. Uh, a very big, very complex uh, photo essay book. Um, and it was very actually, complex and it had lots of different parts. And one of the things I love, and I have to get this in, is that Paul is great if it's, I mean, he can do a regular book, but he is so great at figuring out all these things that have all these parts and to get them to figure out it is amazing that Paul can do all this, but he, it's like a puzzle or a chess, you know, it's just amazing. Okay. Keep going. No, it's very much a puzzle. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where the, the more complex books become very interesting for me. I mean, they're, they're very stressful. They are difficult to do, um, but they are interesting puzzles too. Um, this is a book that came out just earlier this year um, for an artist up in the Duluth area here in Minnesota, uh, an Ojibwe artist. Um, and again, featuring his work, featuring his words, some English, some in Ojibwewan. Uh, um, so that's kind of a fun, fun project, beautiful book. Um, this is one that's uh, local here. Um, it's a, it's kind of like a notebook or a keepsake notebook, but, but we just pulled out all the stops and turned it into the, just this gorgeous piece. It's got foil stamp covers and white printed on blue text or blue paper and full color throughout. It's just one wonderful, fun things. And it um, is beautiful. All of, the projects, all of the projects are fun things. This one, uh, My Mighty Journey, um, is a, a children's book, a children's storybook that was illustrated um, by a, a world-renowned uh, wood engraver and um, letterpress printer here in the, the Twin Cities. Um, this book, I was had the benefit of being involved with from the very, very beginning, or at least the beginning of production, um, and uh, took over five years to produce the images and everything in this book. So that was a huge team effort. That was not, that was definitely not me alone. That was a huge team effort. Um, but I took those images, scanned them in, and then uh, overlaid the text on them to create what would become the trade version of this book. So beautiful. Um, that How was big is this book? Amazing project. Um, it's it's oh I should I should have had some books out. It's, like it's how quite, tall it's, it's is quite, it? Quite large. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks tall, man. These are beautiful. So um, more recently, then you know, kind of the other end of the spectrum. 
So a book on a, a 60s rock band that had, you know, kind of a one hit wonder sort of band um, that had several good songs, but uh, one that really made it nationally. And so it's a Minnesota band, a, you know, group of Minnesota teenagers that ended up jetting off to California and opening for the Beach Boys and all sorts of things like that. So it's, it's their story. And it's, of course, it's so much more than just the story. It's all the things around it. Um, the ephemera and things like that. So oh, this cool. this was such a fun book to put. You together told too. me. I remember you telling me about this, and it was the just the it. One thing Paul loves is to get that story, and somebody could just take it, but it's the way Paul puts it together, and it is this puzzle of telling the story. So absolutely. Anyway, I love it. Keep you know, going. And, and it's a funny thing. So so here's some of the books I worked on in the past couple of years. Um, and you know, I'm actually not a very good reader. I'm a very slow reader. And, and that's what I love about doing books, especially when I'm getting to typeset the interior is, of course, I have to read it as I'm typesetting it, um, not always from beginning to end, usually from the middle out. But it's, it's, it's just such a way to get immersed into the world. And when I get to work with authors on their story, you know, the, the story is, you know, it's taken them years of their life to put together. But there's always so much more than just the story, more than just the words. And I get to be part of that. Um, that's, that's such a fun, amazing thing. So just kind of to end up with, this is a book that I'm actually working on right now. We're going to be going into production here in another month or so. Um, this is going to be a big 11 by 11 book, full color, um, on both this painter, Cammie, Cammie's, uh, uh, artwork, but also her technique. She has some very novel, very amazing things that she does in landscape painting. Um, and we get to express all of that. And again, it's the same idea. It's, you know, what's in the book is amazing. What's not in the book is even more amazing. I mean, there's just so much more there. And I get, I get to be part of that. I get to be, you know, in on that special little secret world. So that's kind of what I'm doing. That's what I am. So, so where am I going? I like the little animation, Paul, and the little love illustration. That. I love it. <laughs> so, so where I'm going, I'm, I'm going to kind of end this with a quote. And this is a quote that I've loved, loved, loved since I first heard it. I'm going to read it out here. So why sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Um, this is a quote from uh, Lewis Carroll's Through the Looking Glass, often misattributed to Alice in Wonderland, but it's actually in the sequel. Um, and I just have to say, researching the quote to make sure I had it right led me down a whole other rabbit hole, which is so meta because that expression comes from Alice in Wonderland. Anyhow, this is, I love this idea of thinking about what's impossible, thinking about the unknown, thinking about the you know unimaginable and doing something with it. And that's where that's where art and where design for me really converge. And that's, that's why I love doing what I'm doing. So, you know, for me, what's my future? All right, more, more art in my design, bigger, bolder, more confident in what I'm doing um, and making, you know, exciting things and continuing to work with these just amazing, amazing people that I have as clients. So, and I'm not just saying that because some of them are on the call. It's true. I mean, the, everybody's got amazing stories and that's, that's the kind of people I like to work with. And I talk about that a lot you know, and sort of my tagline that I work with people that have intriguing books, intriguing stories. That's for me, that's the hook. And that's what it's all about. So that's me. I love that. This, that was great, Paul. I, I could have kept, you could have kept going. We could have done it for 30 minutes. Oh, we could do that for hours. I mean, that's why, <laughs> that's why I only talk about very few projects because there's so many, you know, and you can go to my website and look at other things, but um, yeah, I mean, every, every story has a story behind it. And that's, 
that's just so much fun. So, so how, um, well, let me, let me oh, thanks we'll, for putting that in the chat. Diane. I'm going to keep putting it in so that people can okay. go and Paul worked on his site and it's terrific. And you should read some of the case studies. So you have pivoted a few times. And I think that that was one of the, the pieces when I was talking about, cause we could have talked about lots of things, <laughs> not just in your chair, but <laughs> in from, from physics to, um, selling things I to people in Germany. I can't remember all the things you've done. Um, I, I know <laughs> I, I that can't you either, you know, it's, <laughs> it's cliche, but I feel like I've forgotten more things than most people get to do in their lives already. Um, well, and it's, that's just so much fun. But I love that I'm in the past three years. I feel like I've been on the journey with you and it's nice to see. And I've seen where you've been going on your website, but also hearing and seeing some of these projects come to fruition and um, end up and seeing just these series, these uh, books that you're working with are authors or publishers that you're working with over and over. And, and there's something, there's always these special things I think about them. And I think I bet that's how you would make uh, an author feel is that they are, they have this special thing and they have to be able to get it, get it across. And they're not, we're not going to just do it like everybody else has done it. And you do a beautiful, beautiful job at this. So in this pivoting, and that was one of the things I kind of focused on for the, when I was writing up all, cause I could write all different things about what things that it is you talk one about. of the more, it is certainly one of the more unusual aspects of my background. It is. And these are some bigger pivots. Sometimes we might pivot from, you know, advertising to publishing or from publishing to web, maybe there profit are, to nonprofit or right. something like that. Yeah. Right. But so in this, you have made industry pivots, but there has been, um, there's this love of design that has seeped in throughout, even when you were in your PhD, you were doing design. You just didn't really necessarily know that it was something that you could do for a living. You probably don't make as much and you don't get to work with uranium more than likely as a designer, but. Typically not. <laughs> so. So um, oh, Demi has a question. We keep hearing about the death of print for the last 50 years. How do you know, Demi? You're not 50. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, but he's not. So why are all of us print people not fighting back this fighting back at the superficial narrative? Do you? Oh, I'll, no, you can keep going. Keep 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 them up. That's a deep question. Yeah, I, I think we'll keep hearing about the, the end of print for the next 50 years, too. Um, you know, that's just the reality of it. But but certainly, you know, publishing has changed and a lot of it is driven by, you know, the cost, the cost nature of things and print's expensive. I mean, and it's getting more expensive, um, you know, relative to what's going on. But maybe that's not such a bad thing. I mean, print is special also. Um, I, so, so I'm biased, of course. I, I like print. You know, I have print books behind me. Um, you know, I, I, I prefer the feel of print. I prefer the experience of reading a print book over an ebook um, or, or a website or something like that. I like the permanence of it, the fact that it, it has to be edited and finished and completed. And, and that is it. Now it's, it's an artifact. It cannot be changed. Um, that changes the nature of how you work on, on books, certainly. Um, 
But that said, you know, in terms of trying to get rapid content out, a book's not a very good, you know, medium anymore. Um, and it has not been for many years. Um, that's why, you know, newspapers are around and newspapers have, you know, in many ways been replaced by websites and, and in those in many ways have been replaced by Twitter feeds or things like that. You know, people want instantaneous information. Um, and that's, that, that's good to an extent. I mean, we need that kind of, you know, spur of the moment, but, but that doesn't really give you time to reflect on what the information is. Is it important? Does it really mean something? What does it mean? How does it connect to other things? Um, and that sort of, you know, more nuanced nature, I think, is where books really shine, and print books especially, because you, you, you can. You can you can page through a book quickly. You can page through a book slowly. You know, you can dog your pages. You can highlight things. And I know there's there's electronic equivalents of that in ebooks, um, but it's not the same experience. Um, and it's just, it's not, it's not tangible. It's not, it doesn't immerse you in all of your, your senses. So I yep. think in that sense, Demi, yeah, print will not go away. Um, it will just continue to evolve. Right. And we tend to hold it or it becomes more precious, maybe. Um, I can't get to an audiobook a quote as quickly as I could if I knew where it was in the book when I was reading it. So I, I, if I really like a book, I've listened to it, but then I also get a physical copy so that I can draw all in it and stuff. Okay. So by pivoting so many times and in different industries, um, you tend to do this without fear. You maybe you do have some fear, but even in pivoting from like, in book design, just going into as a more niche part, uh, niching down can be scary, but pivoting in any way, how do you, um, how did you, how do you handle that kind of fear or uh, the absence of fear? Could you give us a, a little tip for us so that we can keep maybe? There's a lot of it? things in life that I'm afraid of, but the pivots are not them. So how and, come? Well, the reason being, um, because at least for me, and at least for the, the, the things that I've done or the changes that I've made, um, they were natural extensions of what I was doing. They, they, they felt like the natural path. And, and when you're looking at it from, from a, a distance away, you know, starting in physics and ending up in book design does not make any sense at all. But when you look at all the micro steps along the way, they all do kind of make sense. Um, they're not the choices that everybody would make. I get that. Um, that. That goes back to the whole being an enigma kind of thing. But um, but they are choices that made sense at the time. And so so I'm not afraid of them because it was just moving towards something that was a better fit or, or, or a more natural fit for what I was doing um, or where I wanted to be going at the time, what I wanted to learn more, things like that. Um, but yeah, when you, when you step back and look at it, it's, it's like you really have to scratch your head and say, what the heck? <laughs> but that's a great way of thinking about it. So I hadn't thought about it like this. And when you said that, it made me think, I know you're a runner. And maybe if you're doing trail runs and you're doing only trail runs, then you have different shoes for that. And then then you decide, oh, you know, I'm going to do this other kind. And I need now a different, better shoe for that type. And so that's a really nice way that it was just a better fit or as a different path. It wasn't, you didn't feel like you were like, I'm giving up these shoes. I'm never going to be able to do this thing. If I don't 
keep going. And I think that there is that fear of I'm laughing at that. Cause if you saw my running shoes, you would know that's exactly what I do. They have holes in them and I need to get new ones, but I don't want to give them up. Okay. So then you finally you... broke it in. <laughs> right. So, but lots of people feel like that in their career. So you have not had that. It's been, well, I, and I know, think it's I, that I, curiosity. I think, maybe I think the big difference is a lot of times, and I feel this too, um, we're feeling pressure externally. We're feeling that we need to do something that somebody else thinks is the right thing for us. And if you're making a pivot like that to do something that somebody else has assigned for you, it's never going to feel quite right. And you're going to be fearful and you rightly should be fearful of that. Um, it may still work out. You know, who knows? Um, but when you're pivoting based on something that's coming from inside, that, that you know, you're choosing to make that decision, you're choosing to make that change, um, then it feels more natural. I mean, there's, there's still fear with it. Is it going to work out? There's the uncertainty of what's the future going to hold. Um, but you, you do it with a safety net, certainly. I'm not saying, you know, don't, don't just, you know, completely leap off the cliff um, without any protection. But, but, you know, so long as you have a reasonable idea of what the risks are and what you can tolerate, and it feels like it would be a better direction, it's kind of more fearful not to do it. Hmm. So hmm. I don't know. Okay. Hmm. So Rhonda has a question. She says, do you, and this is not really in the pivot part, but I love this question. <laughs> do you seek out, but it, maybe it is a pivot sort of, do you seek out specific projects or do people look for you? Isn't that, that's, that's like a, that's a hard question, I think. No, no, it's, it's, a, it's a really good question, too. Um, by and large, uh, the opportunities I've had have come to me. Um, and, and it's not to say, well, I'm just lucky, because I know that luck is, you know, it's, it's about being in the right place at the right time. Um, but, um, but I haven't really driven that hard toward things. And I think that's something that's starting to change for me now as I'm being more um, intentional in what I'm trying to do. And specifically saying, you know, no to some things because I know they're not they're not in the right direction where I'm trying to head. Um, and yeah, maybe if I really get my act together, I can actually start, you know, knocking on the right kind of doors to say, hey, this is this is the direction I want to be going, and this is why I want to be going this direction. And and I think we need to work together. Um, so, but in these pivots, you've hmm. said yes to things until you decided to say no to something. Right. So I think in a way it's like you don't know um, or what this is teaching me. Your story is teaching me is that I can say yes to lots of things until I either get too busy or I'm not having fun. And then I'm going to pull back. And but I'm going to uh, go on that curiosity journey. And then that is driving that pivot instead of being held by fear and not knowing what's going to happen. It seems like you've just embraced it. And then you've said yes to projects, but now you're at a place where, again, it's a, in a refining stage for you and what projects or what types of projects uh, you're accepting. But you will accept projects that are very difficult. These chess kind of projects, I think that I'm like, whoa, you know, I mean, some of these are super custom. You're doing on the press and then you're doing gold foil and you're doing gold leaf and you're doing all kinds of things that are crazy putting together I was just doing gold leaf this morning. In fact, 
probably still have gold on my fingers in places. <laughs> I, don't know. I knew you were glowing, glowing gold. I'm glowing with gold. Yeah. Yeah. 22 karat glow. So Jen um, has, oh, go ahead. No, no, I, I was just, I was going to address Jen's question there because it's a good one. She asked if I've always been so clear about saying no. And, and the answer to that is no. <laughs> That's the most clear I've ever been in saying no. No, I, I'm terrible at that. I'm, I'm, I'm very good at saying yes. And I think it's it's a lot of you know as you were talking about with this Diane you know it's it's more it's like I'm I'm yes here and then this other thing comes along and I'm more yes here so I go toward the more yes and and less of the less yes but not really no <laughs> but I'm getting now I think more focused in that I'm I'm having to start saying no and that's you know I mean that's an evolution of things and I think you know when you're changing major industries like when I went from physics into you know doing uh, electronic instrumentation and when i went from instrumentation into marketing and marketing into um design you know those were um oftentimes leaps of uh, ignorance <laughs> not really knowing what i was getting into and so you know i couldn't really be specialized i couldn't be focused because i didn't really know anything about the industry at the time but i quickly learn about stuff and then you become more more niche more focused um, not in the sense of, well, you know, I want to say this is specifically what shows up on my resume. Just this is what interests me the most of this. Eh, this is okay. This is okay. But this, this is what's really exciting. And so you go for that. It's more, it's more yes, more of the big yes, less of the small yes. So in, when you're making these pivots, were, did you, when you went from instrumentation to marketing i know this story so you maybe can tell this quickly so it i always think of the, uh, it wasn't like paul's like i'm not going to do instrumentation anymore the end i'm going to do marketing right there was this overlap you're just hey this this needs to happen i think i could do this tell them that story well, you know okay, what story so, so. i'm telling I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, and, and that happened over a couple of years. So, so it's definitely it, it. It looks like it's a sharp pivot, but but at the time it was it was definitely a transition kind of thing. And then the instrumentation. So I, I had a business that was selling um, uh, measurement equipment that was made in Germany, and um, we were using largely the the marketing information that came out of Germany. So so it was it was it's an engineering company. So so it was brochures that were written in German by German engineers translated into English. And and just anybody that works anything in marketing knows that's probably a bad idea. And and they weren't very good. So so I ended up rewriting the brochures and you know rewriting the website for for what I thought was appropriate for the American audience. Um, and come to find out the the German engineers actually were using my English brochures in Germany because they were better than their own German brochures. Um, and that was kind of like a oh, light bulb moment. You know, this this actually could be something interesting. I didn't know anything about marketing. <laughs> I didn't know, you know, what it was or anything. I just, you know, I, I needed better brochures. So I just did them. And, you know, I'd, I'd done page layout stuff before. So I'm like, I, can, I know how to lay this out. You know, and of course, looking back on them, they were horrible, but you know, whatever they were, they were better than what I had at the time. So, um, so then it's just, I kept working on that. It's like, well, you know, we could do, we could do more, you know, we could make this better um, and, and maybe integrate a little more internationally. So we have, you know, like an international brand. I learned about the word brand and, you know, what that meant. Um, and so, so in that way, kind of moved from writing code and working with clients to develop test programs to actually writing um, brochures, right? You're doing copywriting 
and designing brochures that helped explain what we did as a company. Meanwhile, I was still training them on how to use our software and going out on site visits and things like that. So, um, and just kind of kept moving more and more toward the, the marketing side and finally decided, you know, this is actually the part I like the most. You know, I, I don't dislike the customers that I had, but I like this more. So let me do more of this. So. Okay. So Chris, so Chris asked, and so great. You, you know, he loves curiosity. He's, you were on his podcast and that's how I knew you would say yes to me, or I was going to hold it over you. Cause if you went on getting work to work, I knew you, you would. I, I have to say that after you saw that I was, I was with Chris, Diane was like, you went on Chris's podcast and you didn't go on my podcast. <laughs> I, I know mean, it's, I'm really hurt. I'm it's like, been a year, I think, but um, I'm glad it was a really good one. Chris, maybe you could pop that uh, getting work to work uh, link in the chat if you don't mind. But yeah, I don't, Chris, I don't remember my number anymore. I know. And Chris is like over 3000. I'm just kidding. I think it's over 600. Oh, it was getting work to work. 545. Thank you 545. Chris, for there putting that in there. It's a great episode. And we're talking about different things here. So if you uh, love Paul, then you'll love to listen Chris, to that one. Chris was the prequel to this. Chris was. And so I knew he, he would say yes, or he better say yes to me if he said yes to Chris. Okay. So, but Chris asked, and I love the way Chris writes. He's a great writer as well. So how often do you use leaps of ignorance? I love that. Leaps of ignorance to reset your system. So in that you went to this, you were like, well, I don't know about marketing, but you knew yours was better or you could do it better. And so you said it was about a two year overlap. Like is every reset a leap of ignorance? Do you think? Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think I think there's there's a certain amount of arrogance, there's a certain amount of ignorance, um, and there's a certain level of the you know sort of the DIY mentality which I have, which is how hard could it be? Right, right. <laughs> but I think in a way it's like we need that um, kid like I can figure it out, yes. right? Kind yeah, of yeah, thing. and that's exactly it. It's, it's it's a childlike you know interest to say, well, I'm just going to go do it. You know, nobody's told me I can't do it because nobody even knows I'm interested in doing it. So why not just go do it and hopefully get far enough along before somebody starts saying, you know, you actually need a degree to do that. You know, you need to actually have training to do that. You need to actually know what you're doing to do that. Hopefully you've done enough of it that you're like, well, that really actually kind of works. Well, that's, that's certainly how it's been for me for book design. You know, I did right. end up going back to uh, design school um, after I learned that, you know, design was actually a a legitimate profession, um, you know, I realized there was a lot of fun. You know, I know how to use Photoshop and InDesign. I've used InDesign back since it was PageMaker. I mean, you know, I knew Pantone colors and things like I, I knew some of the mechanics of it, but I didn't really know the theory of it. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll go back to school. So, you know, did a post-bac program at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design here. Wait, um, I have a question. Did you oh, stop okay. everything else to go back to school? In that case, I did. So, but was so that, that the was, only time that you didn't like have that overlap? Yes, because and, that, and that's just the nature of the, the school program, you know, academic year stuff and things like that. And also I was living in Madison, Wisconsin at the time. And uh, my wife and I decided we wanted to move back here to Minneapolis. Um, so so there were there were a few things that converged right at that moment. And it gave me a chance to do a fairly clean reset. Um, I had sold out of the previous business. I had winded, wound that down a little bit. Um, and just decided, yeah, let, let me dedicate a couple of years of, of, you know, learning time to really focusing on, on 
you know, what, what is design? But of course, the intention was that I was going to be picking up clients that were just like magically going to fall from the sky somehow. I don't know what I was thinking about then. But, you know, so I was thinking I'd be doing work while I was doing that. But in practice, I did not. And that's actually when I picked up book arts. That's when I started working at the Minnesota Center for Book Arts and took up letterpress and things like that, partly because I had the time to do it. And it was, you know, it was, it was cool. It was printing with old equipment. That was fun. Um, and come to discover, you know, what the whole book arts field is, which helped drive me then ultimately into um, book design. And, and I should mention that actually, that was kind of a pivot in a pivot. I was sort of uh, twisted one way when I was going the other way. So, so my, my move into design, I, I intended to go into um, uh, marketing design. So ad design, um, you know, agency work and things like that. And it was, it was midway through that program that I realized that was not actually the right fit for me. Um, you know, I, I could do it. I understood the principles of marketing. Um, I just didn't like it. I didn't like that sort of, um, well, we'll go into all that. But it was kind of a crisis moment because it's like, okay, I'm mid-pivot. I actually did make a break. I, I sold the business, you know, and, and now I don't want to do what I'm going to do. That's kind of a problem. And, and one of the faculty members there who, um, you know, gave me some good advice and, and he just, you know, said, Paul, what, what do you, what do you really like? Um, and that, that was a tough question. Nobody had ever asked me that question before. And I'd never really thought about it before. I just, like I said, I went to the more yes, you know, less of the less yes. So, um, so I thought about it and I said, well, you know, I like, I like books. I really like books. And he's like, so be a book designer. And I mean, I, I kid you not. I'm like, really? People do that? And this was I, kind of an embarrassingly not that many years ago <laughs> when I made that comment. Um, you know, so, so I decided to, you know, refocus what I was doing specifically, not just, you know, design in general, which, of course, you know, your design professor, you know, covers a lot of ground, actually, but focus right in on book design specifically. Um, and it was, it was a much harder choice because, you know, I didn't have any clients as a designer. I had even fewer clients as a book designer, <laughs> um, but, um, but that's what I wanted to do. And so I focused on that and, and started picking up some projects and doing some, some real production work and just, it's kept picking up and picking up from there. So, um, yeah. So, so, I mean, back to your question, Chris, I mean, ignorance is great. Um, so long as you can live in that bubble and, and, and move toward, toward, useful knowledge um ignorance saves you from all that trouble of you know self-doubt and everything because you just don't know the difference <laughs> yeah absolutely that's, that's a great thing about it but it's 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 a it's a weird balancing act because you get you get you get too knowledgeable before you have the skills to do it then you're going to realize you, you can't do what you want to do and then you you're stuck in that that trap of you know your 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 um your ability to see is better than your ability to do and, and we all have that in creative fields all the time, anyhow. But but you really can be trapped in that if you're trying to do a pivot, because then you start questioning everything about life and, and your decisions. Um, so thankfully, I've been I don't know bullheaded enough to be able to push through um, and get to a point where I'm accomplishing what I want to accomplish. So yeah, and I think that being a, like, that lifelong learner and knowing that there's something is a perfect for design because we're always talking to clients that are doing something that we have no idea about. So it allows us to ask good questions if, if we're curious, right? So Mary, she says, and I know she, we saw one of her books um, mm -hmm. that you've worked with and uh, she said, the part of you, Paul, that is 
the newer at this makes you so very good to work with as you stay open to the collaboration with clients. I also think that that's just, that's and the fun Mary's part. Book especially that was the fearless book, the one with the gold yeah. foil and the white print and stuff. I mean, everything that was in that book, um, I'd be careful how I say this, because I want to scare Mary now. <laughs> everything that was in that book I knew was possible, but I had personally never done it together in one book before. Um, so, so it was pulling a lot of ideas together. I leaned heavily on, on the folks that printed that and on their expertise. Um, and, and it worked out just marvelously. And, and Mary was such a wonder to work with. You know, I said, oh, I'm a little behind schedule. She's like, no problem. Take as long as you need. Um, you don't get clients like that very often. But, but it, it, was, it was a very nice aspect of it. And that's, that's exactly it with every single project. I, I mean, I'm learning something on every book I do. If I'm not, it's not a very fun project. Right. Then it's and factory that's, that's work. Learning about the author's world, which is always fascinating, but it's also learning about the technical world. Um, and you know, maybe I'm trying something new that I or a new printer or so, something, some technique that I haven't actually used before. Um, you know, you tuck it together and, and turn it into something that's wonderful and beautiful. And that's yeah, that's that's great. And that's the great thing about book design is I don't see that ending at least not for a long time. I mean, every every author I meet um, has more stories in them. Um, and, and there are things to learn about and things to discover. So that's a fun part about it. So. And telling them in different ways and using different materials or using something. Uh, I got to introduce Paul to one of my favorite books from the 90s. Um, it was Nick Bantick's Griffin and Sabine series. And so I he didn't know about it. So I just sent him. I thought they were just three, but it had been a while since I read it. But every if you don't know, it's like it. Seven, books. <laughs> seven books, but I only sent him three. So I'm sorry, Paul had to buy the other four. Um, but you it's like correspondence between two people and it comes in um, like letters or postcards or something. So there's this mm -hmm. opening. So it's really it was really little, little envelopes in the yeah. book with letters you actually take out and things like that. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating how that was done at a production scale. because That was not a handmade book. That was a mass produced book. Um, and of course, yeah, you know, there, there's certain things about it that that look mass produced. Um, but the fact that they did that, I mean, I, I just, I can imagine, you know, when, when, when that author and, and the designer came together and went to the printer, they were like, you want to do what? <laughs> right. But that's, that's what, that was the challenge that I think you would have taken on that challenge as well. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and that's, that's more of the direction and not specifically that, but that's more that idea that I want to go is, 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 you know, the, the printers are always going to say, well, you know, they're, they're going to make it as easy as possible. They're going to try to fit it into the box they already have. Cause that's, that's just, it's human nature. You make it, you, you, you try to aim for productivity, you make it easy. Um, and I think as designers, the, the opportunity we have when we're really in our element is when we're pushing that, when we're pushing the boundaries of whatever somebody has said are the, are the limits. You know, we need limits. We need boundaries. Designers have to have boundaries, but, um, but we like to push those boundaries. And that's, that's where it gets exciting. And, and, you know, for me on a production side, pushing printers, pushing materials, things like that is, is interesting when you get to do that. Yeah, it is about that experiment as Maura said, but it's also mm -hmm. about, so mm -hmm. if, if somebody is looking for someone that they haven't seen a book, with this yet um that's the kind at least what i think that's the kind of thing that gets paul's you know juices flowing um or bubbling and it, up and it can't just be that you know like the griffin and sabine books if it was just that there were envelopes with notes <laughs> and that was that was the cool it's a great hook. story 
Yeah. But it's, it itself is a really good story. And it, and it, it works so well with that because of the nature of the correspondence between the characters in the story. So, so, you know, that specific solution wouldn't work in almost any other book. Um, but that's, that's the fun part is figuring out what's, what works for this story, what works for this project to make it um, just, just a little more special. And, and would that book still have been good, even if it was just like printed letters? It, it would have, it would have still been interesting, but they were able to go a little bit further. And that's, that's always fun. Well, it looks like you've already got Van as a client. She's like, I'm looking forward to you work, working with you on her book. Uh, so You've got Van at the end of this one today. So that's awesome. And uh, Kat said, I feel like if my printer doesn't love hate me a little bit, I'm not doing something right. So that, that, um, that's a good way of putting it. That's exactly it. Yeah, they, they should. They should still be willing to answer your emails and your phone calls, but they should be a little bit. Oh, do I want to open this one or not? Well, because you're think, pushing yeah. them, right? They're pushing your your client. You could do it just basic, but you know that the story could do something else. And I, I just love how you take that because that is really loving, loving the work, not just loving books, but loving telling the story, loving getting that author, um, their story out in a way that is really what it should be about and how it should be. So right. Paul, we're right. almost out of time. We have 10 minutes or 11 minutes. So we have to go straight to number 10 and 11 because Paul and I already knew it was going to take a while. So we'll have to do a part two, Paul. But this, we, this is one of the things I love about Diane. She's got a list of like, you know, a dozen 14 <laughs> questions. There's no way on earth we're ever going to get we've gotten two that. done. So that's pretty okay, good. That, that's, a, that's like a record there. Okay. We kind of talked a little bit about number four, but not quite. So we're going straight to number 10 because you and I have had conversations about this. Okay. Um, recently, we talked about the difference between good and great because this mm -hmm. is that a cat. I'm sure you've had that, right? Um, uh, good and great. And how uh, as an entrepreneur, we have to make choices. As a designer, we have to make choices because of deadline, right? Uh, hey, Mary, we're going to have to push this back if you really want this special something, right? Because it's not working or what we have, I need more time or it needs more drying time or whatever it is. Um, what helps you decide when good is good enough? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question because so, so I'm also a, a perfectionist. Um, and so, so the, the quick answer to that is good is never good enough. Um, but the reality of production, and, and this is, you know, a big difference between art and design. Um, the reality of production design is, you know, you, you do have to produce a product. Um, it has to be sellable. Um, it has to be producible. Um, and it does need to be done by some sort of deadline, you know, because even when there's flexibility, um, in the budget or the deadline, there, there are still limits that you cannot go beyond. And so, so good enough um, comes up when you, when you hit uh, a limit that you can't change or it's not worth fighting for. Um, and, you know, in that sense, you know, well, it, it could have been a little bit better, but, but it still accomplishes everything you're trying to do. And that's, I think, you know, the Griffin and Sabine are a good example to use those. I mean, so, so you know, good certainly would have been just printed letters you know, and, and, and interesting things. Um, and, th and that book would have worked. It probably wouldn't have sold as many. It would have cost a lot less to produce though. Um, but, you know, they decided to push it a little bit further to make it, you know, go a little beyond good into becoming great. Now, if they had been, you know, hand printed letters and things like that, that would have been awesome. 
um, the books would have cost, you know, $50 a piece. They wouldn't have been sellable the way that they were planning on producing those books. So, so I think good enough to, you decide when something's good enough, when you understand really well, what are the actual goals of the project? Um, and how do you make sure you've achieved those goals, not just the stated ones, not just what's on the creative brief, but what really needs to happen? You know, where does the book need to be? Um, and then, then it is good enough. Um, well, maybe if, that's, if you get to go beyond that, it's even better. Maybe that's one of the things that makes you really good at this, Paul, is that you're willing to push past what was on the brief and, and maybe even pull that out of the author because they might not have known, but you read it. You understand that there's something else and there's, there's something more that they might not could have put words to or they didn't have words because they didn't understand about the visual, all the things visually. So I, I love that, that you're able, able to do that. So uh, Demi has, I might also add that I think oftentimes my good enough um, is probably a lot better than many people, many other mm -hmm. people's good enough, you know? So, yeah. so, so, so I do set very high standards for the, the stuff that I'm trying to produce. Um, and I don't, I don't always rise to my standards, um, but I try really hard to always do that when I can. And you're going to buy more gold leaf next time, <laughs> right? So you'll, yes. you'll have a few more extra sheets. You have some it's, extra it's sheets. Gold. You don't want to waste any. <laughs> I know. I know. So Demi has a question. I know you and Demi are friends. Um, and he says, Paul, what physics textbook would you redesign if you could? Oh, Gosh, every one, <laughs> all awful. Uh, you know, you know the one that comes to mind most, so Demi, and this is you know after you know years of being out of the field, and and I obviously don't read my physics textbooks on a daily basis, but the Feynman lectures, which is a wonderful lecture series, is a three three book set, um, and I and I think it, it was designed, uh, you know, as I think back about it, um, it, it was designed fairly minimal and you know somewhat in a Swiss style, which I think you know it fits for the era and stuff. But I think there is so much more energy in his lectures that that could come out in the, in the covers and not just with some cliche sort of stock art, you know, swirling lines like they like to put on science books, but something really personal to him. I mean, that that guy was was an amazing, amazing physicist um, and not just a physicist. I mean, there's there's more to his personality. That would be neat to see. That would be neat to see. OK, so going back to that good. Are good enough. I think I got a personal project I'm gonna have to work on now. Thanks. I Tim. know, I know. That's good. <laughs> um, so, um, have you? When you've pivoted, some people pivot because they've hit burnout. Um, mm -hmm. Has that has that been one of your things, or has it just been um, a fun curiosity? Uh, it's not just fun and curiosity. <laughs> no, I, I, I have experienced burnout. Um, you know, let's say light burnout as recently as yesterday. Uh, you know, more, more severe burnout, probably uh, the, the, when I was getting out of the business, the, the instrumentation business. And that was, that was not because necessarily what I was doing. It's just the, the overall environment around it had, had grown in a way that was no longer fun, no longer enjoyable. Um, so, and, and I was putting in tons of hours. I, I always put in tons of hours. So, so you know, that, that aspect of it, you know, it's hard to imagine um, 
you know, I mean, really that, that, you know, that limit of 24 hours a day, you know, I, I push that limit sometimes. And that's, that's just kind of normal SOP for me. But, um, but when it's, when it's not enjoyable, that's, that's when it's, you start questioning, why am I doing, why am I pouring so much of myself into this when I don't even want to be doing this anymore? Um, and, and that, you know, everybody hits that sometimes and that that's normal. I mean, you, you sometimes question things when you're in the heat of the heat of production and stuff, but when you look back on us something and say, that was a waste of time, that was a waste of energy. That was a waste of, you know, brain cells, whatever, then, you know, something, something's wrong. And, and I guess for me, that's kind of what, what burnout looks like. I mean, bur- burnout is something really, you have to be in it to really experience how bad it is. Cause from the outside, you know, people look at it and say, well, it doesn't seem now. Well, it's bad. I don't know why you're complaining so much. Um, it's just, I think, you know, it's that mindset where you've gotten trapped into some sort of, you know, negative loop. Um, you know, as we call it in aviation, sort of the death spiral. You know, it's, you're going down. It's going down and there's just nothing you can do about it. Um, that's when it's um, really hard. So I, anyway, love- I, I, I felt that sometimes. Yeah. I love that you also in that by by accepting good enough, even though you have high standards, by accepting that good enough, that may be a um, something that can help not lead to burnout. Because if you just keep uh, pushing and pushing and pushing, that printer is not going to want to work with you. They aren't going to. There has to be some sort of collaboration and give and take and compromise, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, I mean, burnout is just a state of mind. You know, it's, it's, it's not actually anything physical. Um, it's just how you're relating to your environment and how, how it's, I guess, impacting you. So, um, yeah, but I think that's, that's the key. It's, it's just always having something, you know, something that you're looking forward to. You know, some, some, some I don't know, reward that comes out of it, but, you know, personal satisfaction that comes out of it. Um, and, you know, a big part of that is, is the clients you work with or, or you know, if you're an employee, the, the people you work for, um, you know, if, if they're asking you to do the impossible, but they're so grateful for everything you're trying to do, that makes it doable. You know, if they're asking for the impossible and, and then they're upset with you when you, you only deliver 90% of, you know, impossible, um, that's, that's tough. That's hard. So, you know, that's, you know, in some sense, it's, you know, get get better clients if you're getting burnout. And, you know, sometimes that means a pivot, go, go somewhere else, go to a different industry or go to something else. Um, or maybe sometimes it's just fire some clients and get, get new ones, get better clients, you know, understand more what, what makes you tick. So you're asking for the right kind of people. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Demi says we should keep pushing. Um, our collective standards are too low. Keep being perfectionist, people, is what he has said. Um, I, lo- I love that. Perfectionists unite if we could ever agree on a logo. Right. Oh, yeah, probably probably not. Maybe. Um, so I want to ask, since we have one minute, Paul, how do you regularly evaluate your growth and your ability to refine your specialization? Because this is the ultimate pivot as you continually are refining. How, what are you doing to evaluate? Is it on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, yearly, quarterly, whatever? Well, that's really the, the great pivot. That's the, the entire universe continually to turn. You know, it, it never stops turning. Um, I, I am not 
a terribly reflective person. And this is something that, that you, Diane, have taught me to be better about. Um, I'm always about the future. I'm always about the next thing. Um, and, you know, I think there's, there's strengths to that, but it also, it also does tend to mean you um, don't, you don't learn the lessons from, from things you've done in the past as well as maybe you could, um, you know, both the good things and the bad things. So, so I try to get better about being reflective on that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying very hard to do like, you know, weekly checklists about, you know, just what, what happened good in the week? What didn't, you know, what, what worked well, what didn't work. And, and that's, you know, inspired a lot of, you know, by the stuff that you've done, um, Diane. And that's- That I've uh, made you do? That you made me do, yeah, yeah. No, but it, 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 it's good things um, because it, it is, you, you forget, you know, two, three, four weeks later, even that, no, actually I did something good that time. You know, that, that the first half of the year has not been a complete waste. I actually did accomplish some things beyond just, you know, deliverables. And, and that's nice to look at. Um, I think as I, you know, have focused more and more in on, on doing design as a career, um, over the past few years, I've, I've done more evaluation like that, you know, is to say, is this, you know, is this bringing me joy in my life? Um, and if not, what could I change to make it more joyful, you know? And that's, you know, part of that's maybe just, you know, age, as you get older, you get more reflective about things. Um, I don't know, but, uh, but it is something that I do try to do a little more regularly, but, um, but I certainly don't dwell on it. I, I still, my main interest is, is in the future and what's coming up, you know, a new project, you know, one of my existing clients has something new or a new client, you know, reaches out to me. Um, I'm, I'm all in, you know, if it's an interesting thing, I'm looking forward to, you know, what, what new, what new things are we going to discover on this project? So. So I, I love that. So as you are getting more known about solving these chess problems for books, right. Or just somebody who has a story, but they want you to execute it, the inside and the outside, because there is beautiful things that you can do in the interior parts of the book. It's not yeah. just like send it to print, you know, like, uh, Hey, there's some I actually spend much more time on interiors than I do on covers. And that's, you know, that, that limits the, the genres that I can work in because there's certain genres, you know, fiction, especially, um, you know, adult fiction where, you know, there is almost no thought given to the interior of most of those books. Um, you know, you, you give it to an intern, they plug it into a program, you know, it spits out an interior and that's great, but you hire a good cover designer because that's all about the marketing. Um, and I think that's, it's unfortunate, but understandable. And I think when I've been able to work like in genre fiction, I do try to always add things in, you know, little special, subtle, nuanced elements into the interiors. Um, but, you know, obviously the more complex books, especially complex nonfiction books or, you know, children's picture books, things like that, there's much, much more design in the interior. So I have to, did you put pull out that one book so that we could show them what it was? Do you have it by hand? The one that's the artist that has the big sculpture and it has the thing that opens. Oh, yeah. So that's the Cora book. Cora, I couldn't think of what the name of it is. I know, I got it right here. And you're so talking it, the fancy one. Yes, yeah, so it has two, there were two I, I'm, covers. I'm proving it's not a backdrop. These are actually Right, <laughs> these are real. Yeah. You're talking this one. This one. So yeah, this okay. one is, this was a lot of figuring out to and, um, and it was a, very custom. This is an example of, you know, when you design a book, 
um, there is not just one cover. There are actually many covers to a book, especially a complex book. So this this one I did show in my my slideshow, but this is the the special edition of it. So yeah, but did they didn't cover. get to see coming out and opening. It wasn't an interactive part of the right, slideshow. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, so we did a, a soft cover and a hardcover version of this, and then we did a special special edition for donors to the project and and friends of the the pottery and things like that. So th this is the special edition, um, and it's you know it's, going closer. To the the black things because it's set in right yeah yeah so that's see if i can show it kind yeah, of yeah yeah we can see that now yeah so so this is kind of a, a modeled on the sculpture it's held up by two these two granite columns and the sculpture hangs in the middle which is of course missing here in the book um because when you open this and this is a, an unusual clamshell box and that it's split i'm trying to do this holding it up um so it's handmade and yeah, paper. paper inside yeah so indigo paper um for the book itself and then when you lift the book out it's easier to do when it's laying down i say. know amy says "Ooh, so fancy the book out, there's this this arch which is part of kind of part of the story and part of the whole philosophy and then the book itself and that's you know without its dust jacket and everything so yeah and the book i mean it's a big book lots of pictures and it it itself has fold outs as well to kind of show some of the notes and things that went into it so yeah that's um that's pretty complex, but yeah, it was a soft cover, the hard cover here, then the, the special box that we had made, um, which I helped design, come up with a kind of a, a structure that would work to, to hold the book and give it kind of this very, um, very clean, very uh, uh, intentional presentation of the book. And the nice thing about these being inlaid a little bit is um, it keeps them from popping off. You know, if you're sliding it into the bookshelf or something like that, because that that's I mean, ultimately, the thing that's so exciting about books, especially, you know, books as art, is that um, they're meant to be held and used. You know, they're, they're not just something you hang on the wall. No offense to, to people that, you know, do paintings and things like that. But, you know, book arts are meant to be interacted with. They're not meant to sit on a shelf. And that's I mean, that's so much fun. So. Oh, so this Rhonda has a great question. She says, do, do you start with the client's budget or do you design it and sell the budget to the client? Usually you're starting with a budget because, or at least some sense of a budget, because um, uh, there's just limits of what, um, what you can do, especially because a book is also, you know, so a book is art, but a book is also a product. It's a mass produced product. And so it, it has to fit in a certain place in the market. You know, if, if you have something, you say this, this is this is an amazing, you know, uh, uh, science fiction book and it's going to sell for $49.95. It's going to work. You know, maybe a very special edition will sell to a select number of people on Kickstarter right. or something. But as a as a mass produced book that you buy at Target or Walmart or, you know, the bookstore. Um, no, it isn't ever going to work. So 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 the budget, you know, the cost of the end product affects the budget um, and that affects you know what you what is possible to do with it but of course you know as designers we try to push that you know and 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 we push it as far as we can and when we, when we get to the limit of what we can then we try to squeeze everything out of what what we've got left so that, good question though. they love they loved that book so it, it was a good one it'll be we will have to go into the uh collage and the other things in part two paul because yes. We didn't get through, but we got halfway through number 12. We didn't even get all of it through, but, um, but we we'll, got like three, three and a half questions. That's good. I know. I know. That's, that's really great. 
Okay, so I want to make sure you guys know how to get in touch with Paul and you go check out his website. His website is made for writers because he knows who his audience is and they love yeah. to read. There's tons of text. There's tons of how things works. And there's whimsy. So, so, so please, please, all all of you excellent, excellent website designers out there, do not look at it and send me emails saying, you know, I could make this a lot simpler and cleaner. I know. <laughs> but but there's lots of whimsy. And you added that that fun personality in that that I love that part of it. So um, so anyway, I check it out. Illustrata, I-L-L-U-S-T-R-A-D-A dot com. And then Paul Nylander, uh, N-Y-L-A-N-D-E-R, if you're on LinkedIn. So um, anyway, the links are there. They're in the chat. If you are um if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. There's right down below. Make sure you follow Paul. Um, Paul is, he will get him on Instagram at some point. I mean, he's there, but he just doesn't do much. So I've got like six posts. Yeah. <laughs> D tried to help me get, get on. And I did a couple of interesting ones, but uh, it's just don't have the it's time. Okay. I think, I think no. it's good that you're just, um, uh, you're there and you consume. So, but people can get in touch with you on LinkedIn if they yep. just have questions or whatever, or they want to know when part two is. And I just appreciate all the people um, that are your um, that are your authors or your clients that have come. That was su super super that's, sweet. Yeah, and that's nice. awesome. Thank you all to all of you for coming. I mean, everybody, it's uh it's uh, humbling because you kind of figure, you know. Nobody's really that interested in the story of Paul Nylander. It don't make any sense anyhow. So <laughs> no, no and, and, and I'm sincere. I'm happy to talk about books with anyone. And, um, and of course, if you're trying to do something, that's a, a, a project that needs a little something. I'm happy, happy to talk to you about that. See, Debbie Clapper, she said, your story is great, Paul. See? Thanks, Debbie. And Kat <laughs> said it was inspiring. Anyway, Mary, it was great to be with you, too. And I'm going to just make sure everybody knows. So Illustrada, I-L-L-U-S-T-R-A-D-A dot com. And then Paul Nylander on LinkedIn. And the links are down below. I'm going to put them in one more time. And we are off for the next two weeks. I don't have a calendar right there. But at home, I have a calendar right next to my computer. <laughs> so I don't know why uh, I was looking, but um, but not that we could see it anyhow. But I know you can't. But um, but I could look and pretend. But I guess it's on my uh, I think it's the next two weeks we're off and then we'll be back um, in, in May taking some weeks off next week. My mom will be happy because I'll be with her. So she um, and they have terrible Internet, so I can't do a show with my mom. <laughs> but at some point, really soon, Ashley and I are going to do a show because it'll be 10 years, the beginning of June. So I'm very excited wow. about having a show. And Paul, I'm just really glad you're my friend. And I'm glad that we've spent so much time together. And thank you for being on Chris's podcast so that you would finally be on mine. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad uh, it wasn't that bad, right? Nope, not at all. See? It was just like chatting with you. And I see? love doing that. Yeah. See, it's just regular. All right. Well, guys, I will see you um, in two weeks. And it'll, it's part two with Dave Clayton. It is not. Our talk on Creative South is just continued on since Paul couldn't come. 
I, I love that. What you guys said. Yeah, this talk took us 40 minutes at Creative South, but we're an hour in and we're only halfway through it now. Yeah, we, we elaborated quite a bit and I wasn't so tight on time. So I wasn't running, rushing through. So and this, Shay, see, this, this is why designers need deadlines. Right. That's <laughs> right. That, that's, yeah. that's absolutely <laughs> it. Um, but Paul, thank you so much for being on today. And I appreciate you and I appreciate everybody who came. Shane, thanks for coming. Um, yeah. Some of our, our friends. So, all right. I'm going to hit stop. Oh, we had another question, maybe. Um, oh, wait. So uh, Kat has a question about Mary's Fearless book. Uh, where can we get a copy of that? She's always on the lookout for great gifts for her nieces and nephews. Oh, that was, uh, as happens with a number of the books I do, that was a limited edition book. So it's not in open circulation. So um, I don't I don't think copies are actually available. So you'd have to kill somebody, a cat. Um, you'll have to break into their house. Or, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> she said, you're breaking our heart, Paul. Um, no, it, it, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting part. Okay, Mary mentioned going with the next phase. So we've talked about doing a, a um, slightly more mass-produced, slightly easier to mass-produce version of the book. Um, this was kind of a, a test version. So, um, but that you know, it does happen in, in some ways, especially when you know these, these special books, like like you know, like, like the core book as well. I mean, if you said, "Oh, I got to have one of these," sorry, you can't. It's a uh, it's a uh, special, and that's uh, I mean, that makes that makes those kind of projects. Um, extra fun because, well, first of all, I get a copy, you know, which is really cool. <laughs> um, but then also it's, you know, it just has so much more specialness for the people that do, do get to have one of them. So yeah. and that's, you know, a little bit of that is kind of my book art side coming in, you know, producing limited edition books. Um, they are special for that. Absolutely. Anyway, Paul, you know, I can always talk. I think every time we talk and it's just me and you, my mom's like, how long did you talk to Paul today? And I'm like, it's two hours. I don't know when else I can't talk. I can't talk to Paul shorter than two hours. It doesn't seem like two hours. We may have goals of getting done in an hour, but we just can't. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I use I use Calendly, you know, to help schedule things because I, I hate I hate scheduling, you know, back and forth trying to come up with a time. So I started using that tool. Um, and you know, when, when you set it up initially, you know, they've got like the default things. You can have like a 15 minute conversation or a 30 or an hour. And I'm like 15, ah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> I can't even say hello in 15 minutes. I know that is too funny. Hey, I just want to, Hey, Jeremy Kennedy came and Jeremy, I remember where you're from. You're in Orlando. Woohoo! I just wanted you to know that I've, I've been memorizing it. You and Shari Holly, I have you memorized now, and you just hadn't come, and so I was like, "I'm always in awe of that, Diane. I mean, I can't remember people's names to save my life, and you like know their whole history and where they lived, where they lived before even where well, they that, moved from. That's just Dimmy because he moves a lot, but I didn't know he was already in Greece, but I knew he was going, but he's going to go back to Leeds. So <laughs> anyway. Um, but Jeremy, it's good. I'm I'm glad that I got to tell you that. So you were mentioned really early on. But Paul, as always, you're um, a blessing in my life, and I'm really glad. And thank you for doing this. And um, I can't wait for part two. Either it was a pleasure. Thank you, Diane. Okay, I'm hitting stop. Bye.